I'm bulletproof, nothing to lose. I am titanium. <clears throat> Sorry, I got possessed by Megan there for a second. Hello, Pod. <laughs> I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this very rare occasion, folks. <laughs> very rare occasion. This is only the second time we've done this. It may be the last, uh, because Megan is not going to let us leave. This is a spoiler special to celebrate <laughs> the cinematic triumph that is what Helen's looking at me with a <laughs> shake in her head uh, I sense that Helen does not concur with my opinion oh maybe you do oh anyway the masterpiece the oh, first boy. and only masterpiece <laughs> of 2023 the cinematic triumph that is Gerard Johnstone's Megan or M3 Gan or Mem- however the hell you pronounce it anyway but it is a, an impromptu <laughs> post film spoiler special we've only done this once before it was for Thor Love and Thunder we only do this for the biggies folks we have rolled out the pod carpet for Megan and I'm joined in the studio immediately after the film by an exultant Alex Godfrey what's up I just want to um, (laughs) I just want to start by saying that your if that is your official Megan impression no it wasn't it wasn't because it's a bit Kermit the Frog (laughs) Exactly. Okay. No, that's good. But you know, you've got time because there will probably be about ten Megan films. Oh, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I hope there are twenty-five Megan films. I would do a spoiler special after each and every one of them, and each and every spoiler special will be worse than the one that came before, (laughs) (laughs) which will probably echo the path that Megan takes. We're also joined on two mics, two mics, Uh, one mic rather, two mouths, one mic. Uh, I'm on Warman. Sophie Butcher, what? What? I don't know. Alex, my, what are you doing? Not my favourite introduction. Not, not, your, not my best. Not my best. But hey, I haven't got anything written down. I'm still, I'm still high on Megan. Megan is coursing through my veins right now. We have all just seen the film with a, a crowd, uh, mostly real people, some influencers, <laughs> uh, but still, you can't have everything. Uh, who, someone who saw it yesterday and the, the Megan may have worn off, I'm not sure. Is Helena? I can't judge. I can't tell from your expression. Helena Hara, hello, welcome. Hello. How are you? I am well, thank you. I'm, I'm slightly, you know, rained upon. Uh, it is horrible in mm-hmm. London today, but otherwise good. That's otherwise good. Fantastic. Well, there's a lot to get into, uh, but uh, in a rather unorthodox uh, move, we are recording a spoiler special before I have done the spoiler special interview, uh, which we're about to cut to now. So two days from now, I will be sitting down on Zoom with the film's director, Gerard Johnstone, and its writer, Akila Cooper. And this is what they will have to say. Enjoy. <laughs> we are delighted to be joined on this Megan spoiler special by the film's director, Gerard Johnstone, and writer, Akila Cooper. How are you both? Good, good. Very well. Thanks for having us. Uh, not a problem. Where are you both at the moment? Los Angeles, which is getting a break from the rain until it comes right back. Yeah, and I'm in Auckland, which is strangely also raining. Um, so, yeah, I guess, yeah, I was thinking about hopping over there for a holiday, but then turns out I should just stay put. Yeah, yeah, just give it deal. give it like 10 days. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's just rainy enough to get people into cinemas, though, right, Michaela? Yes, yes. That's cool. it. That is absolutely it. Uh, but congratulations on on the success of Megan's opening weekend. Um, it's it's pretty good. How much of that was creepy creepy dolls going to see the film uh, and and in support of <laughs> Megan? Are you saying we had bots going to see <laughs> our movie? Um, <laughs> not my words, Caleb. Your words, <laughs> hoist by your own petard. 
There was yeah. no bots. It was all living, breathing human people. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So have you guys seen this with an audience yet? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Good audience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know how how many times you've seen it, Akila, but you know, the 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 premiere at the Chinese theater was pretty special. Oh, it was yeah. a pretty big house. It was. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of, it, I, I think it's probably ruined me after that. So I don't think I'll go to see it again. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it there. I saw it. I'm thir- I went to Thursday night preview screenings with a friend. Uh, we did the Crenshaw Baldwin Hills, which is like, it, it's the black theater. So it's predominantly mm-hmm. a black American audience, uh, which I don't know if you've ever seen a horror film with a predominantly black audience, but it is a ton of fun. <laughs> Uh, and then we we did the 8 p.m. there, and then we did like a 10:30 showing at the AMC in Century City, which was uh, actually it ended up being like quite a few gay men in the audience. So I got like both ends of the spectrum, and like both reactions were amazing. It was amazing to see it with those crowds. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I've seen it twice now. The first time it was it was just me and one of the journalists and a security guard. Uh, <laughs> And I was cackling all the way through. And then the second time was the other night with with uh, with an audience, a very boisterous audience. And I, I'm fascinated by how you both shaped and crafted this movie because it is full of button moments. It's full of great, you know, Gerard, one of the things you do constantly in this movie, it makes me laugh every single time, is that you'll have a, a, a wonderfully sincere scene usually between Gemma and, and, and Katie, and then you will end it with a button of Megan looking incredibly sinister. And it, it made me laugh every single time. Were, you know, can, you, can you talk about how you crafted those moments and which moment did you think would play, I guess, best with an audience? Um, I mean, I, I think I'm just trying to make sure that... Um, uh, you know, no one's bored moment to moment, you know, and that's all in, in the editing and, and uh, the pacing and, and figuring all that out. But, you know, Megan, I, I couldn't have predicted that just Megan herself would be the gift mm-hmm. that kept on giving. And that whenever we cut to Megan, that that is a gag in itself, what she thinking, what she doing. And I would say it was really fun to see it, uh, at, you know, when you see it in a room of people, you can feel the energy change. There's just this mm-hmm. energy lift when she's on screen. It just people are, are just completely hooked. Um, but no, in, ter- in terms of, I mean, Akila, you should talk about like you know the, you know how 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 this was created and and uh, you know before before it got to me. Well, yeah, like I I think I had like the easiest job uh, just putting the words on the page to just make sure that, you know, like James Wan and Jason Blum were happy. And then, you know, it would attract a great director, which it did. So I'm going <laughs> to pat myself on the back for that one. Um, it was just like crafting Megan again. I had the easiest job because like James was just like he's James Wan. He's going to hire incredibly talented, smart people especially on the design side. So I didn't deliberately describe her in too much detail in the script. I knew like they were going to figure that out uh, once they brought on a director and a design team. Uh, But I just wanted to make sure it's like to differentiate her from Chucky. It's like, she is the size of a child. (laughs) And I know I wrote that. It's like, and I think she was wearing like a child school uniform or something like that. But it's like, she's about four feet or whatever, you know, whatever actress they would hire. Uh, She's about that size. So she could look eye to eye with the child and just personality wise, obviously she's got the AI model where she's learning as she's going along, but emotionally, all of those scenes, like my focus 
uh, on the page was Megan has to connect with Katie because Katie is her ward. Uh, and so that's the thing that I wanted to make sure I hit in the writing was like, this is where the emotional connection comes from. And this is where the terror comes from because she is trying to protect this child that she, you know, robotically loves and then building the antagonism with Gemma as Gemma slowly comes to realize, oh shit, something's going wrong. So again, I, I had the easy work uh, and kudos to Gerard and the production uh, design and costumes and all of that for like making Megan what she is. Yeah, it was like it was in you know, Blumhouse have been sending me um a few things, but they were um they were just horror films and you know, which is what they do. But you know, the thing about this that was really um appealing was that it had this sci-fi bent and it had, you know, it had a kind of um, you know, she was obviously it's a killer doll movie, so there's an there there is inherent fun. It's like I think people are gonna be going to this movie to have a good time but it was kind of those emotional beats that kind of hooked me um you know especially as a new dad you know that this is about a, a really um flawed um person who's kind of a big kid herself makes toys and hasn't really left her own childhood behind um and then all of a sudden she's having to deal you know she's having she's forced into motherhood and that's the way a lot of us parents feel because we think we'll be ready for it and it's just we're not and you realize oh god the problem here is i'm still a kid um you know and so and so yeah and uh, you know it was it was it was great to be able to put (laughs) all of those flaws on screen and for people to say wow that's so funny you know like how'd you come up with that it's like I'm, I'm hesitant to say, but I, I'm not a very good dad. You know, most of the time I try, but Jesus Christ, you know, I've literally said to my kids, if you could just hold down the fort by yourself while I, while I do this, you know. Um, so yeah, so that was that that was that was it was very um appealing. But I, you know, like you know, Akela did some really great. I mean, I think Bruce was one of the things that. Yes made me want to do this just the kind of setup and payoff of that cool that cool creation as well it's like and just and it wasn't just designing megan it's like i was really excited about designing bruce um Mm -hmm. and getting to that moment in the the movie i was so thrilled that bruce made it all the way through (laughs) all the way through drafts and productions and i know there was talk about changing his name because of like rights and stuff like that i was like i'm so so happy bruce we did we did this was a weird thing about it he was Bruce and then he was Phil for the longest time. <laughs> and it was like, and then, and then all, cause just getting clearance on anything was yeah. uh, that, you know, and the, cause the friends were supposed to be forever friends, not perpetual pets. Right. And just at the last minute, it's like, no, you can't call them that. I was like, what? We're about to start shooting. Like, yeah. this is crazy. Um, but no, but, but then all of a sudden, like two weeks before we started shooting, it was like, Bruce, we just, we just got the stop document that said, oh, Bruce is cleared. And we're like, yeah. oh my god, we've been calling him Phil all through production. <laughs> all the guys who operate him call him Phil. Bruce is better. Like Bruce is. It know, is Bruce. Know. It's a shout out to Steven Spielberg right. and yeah. the Shark and Jaws, which I is one of my favorite factoids that I learned as a kid. It's like yeah. they call, they gave that shark a name. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's funny. I didn't really come to that until after, for some weird reason, that 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 film. They still call me Bruce, or they call me Bruce. Yes. Oh, like, really? Kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Schlocky kind of kung fu movie from the eighties. That that that's all I can think of when I when I hear Bruce. But yes, yes. What I mean to say is, well, it's clearly the shark from Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking, I was thinking Bruce Campbell. I was wondering if it was yeah, a yeah, to yeah, him. Totally. That's that's right. Right. It's a great name. 
Bruce yes, Campbell, Bruce it Lee. Is. It's, it's an awesome name. Yeah. It's a masculine and, name. Like when you see the design, it is, it's like a hulking ro- It's like Bruce fits, oddly enough, the personality of the robot that they designed. It's a name that commands respect. Yes. <laughs> what about Megan? Was it always Megan, the name, or did you go through different iterations of that as well? It was always Megan. Like I, I had a my when I had my general meeting with Atomic Monster and they gave me like the parameters. It was like, hey, we want to do like a killer doll movie that's like chopping mall meets child's play, uh, with some like American girl doll thrown in. Uh, you know, if you have a take, let us know, get back to us. And I was like, okay. And so as I was driving off the Warner Brothers lot, like her name just popped in my head, like Megan. <laughs> And I knew it had to be an acronym for something. And I was like, I'll figure that out later. I did try other things, but it's just like that creative writer voice in me. It's like, you know, her name is Megan. Stop this. Mm-hmm. Just just work on the acronym. Just work on the acronym. And well, that must work. have, that must, yeah, that guiding light must have um, found its way through to production because I did want to change it because as a New Zealander, it's really hard to say. We say Megan and yeah. all the Americans I'm working with would be like, Megan. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, ah, Ma- Megan. And so I kind of say Megan sometimes trying to get halfway there to Megan. It's a really unnatural name. And I was like, I've got to change this name because it's just driving me nuts. But but no, it never happened. Yeah. Well, uh, well, you you have, I, I think you set out to create a new horror icon with with Megan slash Megan. And, uh, and and you did it. You have, you have achieved it. Literally, and the screen I saw the other night, when she walks into Gemma's house and takes off her sunglasses, the audience oh, cheered. Yeah. Uh, so I think you have created, there, you know, there's going to be M3, G4, and there's going to be, there's going to be all sorts of, you know, hopefully we're going to see a Megan again down the line, but you, you have definitely achieved that goal. I, I, and it's such a fun movie, but you, you were talking to Gerard about the, the kind of the, the deeper emotional meaning of it as well. And, and, you know, listeners to the podcast would be bored of me saying this, but I'm a new dad myself as well. And uh, my <laughs> wife and I have adopted a, a young girl. And, Congratulations. Yeah, yes. And this was also a kind of terrifying existential <laughs> look into the abyss for me as well. Because, mm. you know, we've, we've done some of the same things. We haven't maybe quite said hold down the fort yet, but <laughs> I certainly have said, are you any good at editing podcasts? You know, that, that sort of thing. But there, mm. there's, there's, there's a, a thread there about trauma, surviving trauma, and the, you know, ad- ad- adapting to a new family. There is something that certainly runs all the way through it. And I, I thought mm. it was fascinating how, how willing you guys are to let Gemma be cold mm. to mm. Katie for the longest mm. time. I think to keep, to keep in the audience's mind a little spark of, is she ever going to warm up to her? Is she going to make that choice, the choice that she makes at the end of the movie? But another thing you do, is, which is really interesting, is that you keep Katie ambivalent as well. So I think when she walks into the room at the end with Megan before she unfails Bruce, were you hoping that the audience would go, there's a, there's a version of this movie where she and Megan team up and Auntie Gemma is not long for this world? Was that what you were you were hoping for? Because that's certainly what I felt uh, first time, uh, first time around. Yeah, I think that what that was in the in the original mm-hmm. scripts, and um, it's funny because I think for a while we we're like, "Oh, no one's going to buy that," and we, we moved away from that, and then we kind of came back to it. And Allison was really, you know, she loved the idea that you know that 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 we could do a little bit of a bad seed thing, almost like a heavenly creatures. Like, could we actually? Mm-hmm. And and so and and then it was like yeah actually okay well let's see if we can well, let's see if we can go there let's see if we can kind of earn that 
yeah like and so that was where, like katie would start to dress a little bit more like megan as the film went on she was becoming a you know a little megan but but yeah the way the way it came together was quite um fortuitous as well because um I mean, in the original script, I like, I, like, you know, Gemma actually, Gemma is the one to take down mm-hmm. Maggot with Bruce. She puts those gloves on and she, and I thought that was, that's amazing. This is so cool. I can't wait to shoot that scene. And, um, but, but we couldn't bring Katie back to New Zealand for the pickups because it took us a couple of goes to get that ending. It's like the first, <laughs> the first version of that ending kind of looked like if you'd, um, recast Kermit the Frog as the T-1000 <laughs> did not it did not look good um so we were lucky enough to be able to reshoot it and then we get this devastating news that Katie couldn't come back um to Violet who played Katie was not going to be able to make it back to New Zealand so we we're going to have to figure out some way to do all of it in New Zealand and just get this one piece and I had this really I had some really fun designs where like like Megan, after you thought she was dead, she was going to come back as like a disembodied figure and Bruce was going to come stomp. Like she was going to emerge. When you thought Bruce was beaten, his head was going to hit the, the corridor and <laughs> we're like, oh no. And then the smoke coming through and emerging through the smoke as a disembodied torso of Megan, you know, and then you see Bruce is holding her by the neck, like headless Bruce is stomping, holding <laughs> by the neck uh, yeah and everyone loved it and i loved it and, and when this when we realized katie uh violet wasn't going to be able to come back i was like totally makes sense that katie puts on the gloves and, and that she's in the corner of the room and that we do all this with katie but i don't want to i really like that design and then you know cooper blumhouse was like you know because he's got to you know pay for all this he's like <laughs> what if katie puts on the gloves and i was like yeah it is good that is really that is really yeah. good because it completes her arc it gives her this agency and it gives us that tease of will you want you know once you help megan um but i also should give a shout out to um simon raby who shot who's the dp on the reshoots who said to me he it was his, he, he was like Megan should hand Katie the tablet pen. So it was almost Simon that really helped me get back on board with Kayla's original idea of like making Katie yeah. know, the bad seed. And, and I was like, shit, that, that is really good. And so we ran with that. And 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 um and, and I love it. I love that ending now. I really don't. It, as mm-hmm. much as the design was fun, I don't I don't miss it. Yeah, it's it's just the beauty of like how things shift and change as you go through production. You have to like obviously think on your feet. And I can say this from a comfortable position because I'm like, Gerard, <laughs> I didn't have to live through this, but I appreciate you, man. Uh, I think like in, in my original draft, it was, and I think I can say this, it was set at Christmas, um, actually. And all of that was supposed to take place in like the living room in front of the Christmas tree that like Megan had like crawled down the hallway after Gemma had done the thing with Bruce and Gemma was still incapacitated because, you know, like I think her her near her ankle or something was broken and Katie had climbed out of her bedroom window and come back around through the front door. And it was going to be like a one on one conversation between like her and Megan's disembodied like body. And the original idea was that Katie was going to have to the the button on Megan's neck like you have to press that button to fully turn Megan off. And so Katie and Megan are having this conversation and Megan is doing that kind of seduction thing. It's like, I would be better for you than Gemma, blah, blah, blah. And Gemma was watching this like backed up against a Christmas tree, like, oh shit, 
is my niece actually going to? And then Katie mm. reached around and like um, turned her off. And so it was more subdued kind of um, ending, but I, I love what's on the screen. Like, and again, like the evolution of how things change and grow. It's like, this is one of those times where it's like, everything was for the better. Well, I was down for that Christmas ending. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm a big Shane Black fan. And I was like, mm-hmm. that was one of the other appealing things. It's like, oh, this is Christmas. And then and then when COVID happened and we went from Montreal yeah. to, uh, you know, beautiful, snowy Montreal <laughs> to, New- to like dry, you know, Auckland, just like bland, <laughs> rainy Auckland, <laughs> New Zealand. Um, yeah. It was like in July. I was like, uh, the Christmas thing's going to be tough. But, you yeah, know, Christmas is know. gone. But hey, it gives you a it gives you a, an out for a fairy Megan Christmas, which I presume will be the <laughs> the Christmas special. Yeah. Oh my god, a Megan Christmas special! Oh my god, I'm right. <laughs> I'm sure someone at Universal is like taking notes and is like <laughs> that would be great for Peacock, like the way Marvel did the Guardians of the Galaxy spe- Christmas special. Oh we could you just threw more work on our plate, Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great, though. And it would be very late at night. It would be after hours. It would be Christmas Eve. Megan reading Christmas stories by a fireplace and a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. And then she could see she could sing as well because she's got a hell she of could. a singing voice. And I have to say, one of the most eclectic playlists I have seen in quite a while. Uh, can you talk about, about, about the choices of songs that we hear from Megan? Uh, so we have Titanium, we have Toy Soldiers at the Piano, which is, which is brilliant. We have Accentuate the Positive, which is, you know, this Johnny Mercer song from the 50s, which is, which is wild. Um, you know, I, th- I think LA Confidential used it as well, but that, that's a, an eclectic mix. And then, of course, Jared, I believe you co-wrote the song that she sings to Katie in the, uh, in the, in the therapy yeah. room well it was one of those things that you know with the 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 great thing about you know this character is that you know she has so much potential and she has all these emergent capabilities and she can do so many things and you know in that scene when katie's crying it's like it's put on her she's in this she's in this really difficult situation with this this girl that's re-experiencing her trauma in front of this board presentation which is supposed to show how great you know megan is and it's like, well, what's the best way that Megan can turn the situation around? And almost at the same time, like, it's almost like she gets Gemma out of trouble, but at the same time shows Gemma how inept she is and how much more effective Megan is going to be um, as a mother. So it was, an, it was a, yeah, I just remember it was a sweet idea that she would kind of like make Katie tell her a memory, record that back and the gentle music would be playing. And then I was just like, shit, if we could then just like go into full Disney mode here, um, that would be so great because, you know, the iPads can play music and they can't, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, what if there's a speaker coming from her stomach and she can turn some horrible, like kids love musicals, right? Um, so it's like, what if, you know, this robot could turn an everyday situation into a fun kind of Bert and Ernie sing-along? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so that was kind of the inspiration behind that. But, yeah, Anthony just did this phenomenal job of putting that together. And it was one of the first things he had to do, actually. But um, he had, to, yeah, we he was hired like two weeks before production. So, so we, that was his first job. I was like, can you quickly do this song? Um, so he did like a really basic, you know, song on his Casio tone keyboard that yeah. we brought to set, but you know, we didn't have a Megan voice yet. 
Um, so I had to, or this the song was so new, I had to sing it. So on set, it was like, if you could feel <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> oh my God. like sped up because the animatronics guys had to have something that she could kind of lip sync <laughs> to. And so it was like everyone was like, on set was like, what the hell? are we doing um so to see that scene come together with with a full orchestra you know was was very gratifying but um That's but yeah amazing. i think the the other songs in the movie like um yeah i i had always had this idea that it would be fun to do a little lestat uh interview with a vampire nod at the very end you know like people love to do the whole like you know the character comes home and they turn the lamp on and it's you know they're sitting in the corner mm-hmm. of the room like i don't know who first did that but you know it's one of those movie tropes that we love doing and i kind of had an idea about doing that but then i was like her playing piano would be great and everyone was like well that's cool but she doesn't have a piano <laughs> it's like well could we just you know get like, one, get one? <laughs> Then, I love the direction. Yeah, it's like, can can we get one? <laughs> yeah. So they had to build, they built this. But then my my, mm. my first AD actually took me out of it. It was like, it's a bit cute, isn't it? And I was like, oh. and I was dealing with all the other things we had to do. I was like, oh yeah, this is probably gonna go really bad. So we shot that Kermit the Frog ending that we messed up. And when we got back to to do reshoots, it's like I'm doing the Lestat piano gag. So um we had we had uh you know, so Gemma's reacting to something that was quite different. Uh, you know, her side is like she was ready to do a completely different scene, but we were able to shoehorn in this Toy Soldiers uh, piano scene into the reshoots. What was she um, reacting to again? Sorry, if I, if I may ask. She was reacting to an earlier version of the scene initially. So, uh-huh. But somehow we had to view, we had to, we basically, we had a missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle with this piano, uh, you know, with this Lestat piano gig that we had. It's like, well, we had to, we could, we could reshoot it, but we didn't have time to reshoot all of Allison's side. So it's like, whatever she did, it had to kind of fit perfectly into it. So that kind of gave us a parameters. But, um, but yeah, as I was doing, um, the, uh, as I was looking for how it would sound if she was doing Toy Soldiers on a piano, I came across another guy doing Titanium, like belting out Titanium on a toy piano. And I think that was the inspiration for that. So, cause I was like, oh shit, that's kind of like Megan. She's bulletproof. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And a robot. But, but depending on who you ask, they're like, oh, the, the Eminem song. I'm like, huh? Oh, Toy Soldier. Yes. Gen, Gen Z, love him to death. It was like, Megan's <laughs> playing an Eminem song. And I'm like, wait, no. no. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's older than that, you guys. Yeah, yeah. So far, I w- didn't even know that was a thing until after mm-hmm. my composer shows goes to show how young my composer is. He's like, is that Eminem? Like, oh, <laughs> terrifying, isn't it? Uh, but yes, the <laughs> Titania moment as well was another moment where my uh, my audience lost it. They just lost her shit. Oh yeah, uh, it's extraordinary. I remember yeah, well, like first seeing it as as a cut, and I will say like from the the writing perspective, I think in the script I would have I just wrote like Megan comforts Katie with like a lullaby or something, and just left it at that. Uh, and so in the screening when she starts singing, it's like ah! oh, like it was <laughs> wonderful. It was like yes, this makes perfect sense like for what she would do. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I have to give props to Jenna Davis too because you know she did this audition for for Megan, and she was the only one in the audition who didn't just kind of make Megan sound like Siri. Everyone else was going, how, "What can I? How can I help you, Katie?" You know, and but Jenna was just like, "Yeah, Katie, what's going on?" <laughs> she was almost like oh, Jackson. She was just like, "Katie, what's you know, what can I do?" Yeah, and she was just whispering everything. And it was like, oh my God, it's so creepy and so good. And she gave her so much personality. And then I was like, okay, I think this is her. Can you sing? 
And her agent was almost like laughing at me. It's like, yeah, yeah, she, she can sing. And then she sent, she just sent back this thing where she just belted out this tune. And I was like, oh my God, she's just, she's incredible, which is great because Megan should be, you know, this, this girl that can, if she can't sing, she can build an algorithm within seconds to help her. She can auto tune herself. Exactly. Yeah. So it was funny because Jenna's got a perfect voice and the sound designer really wanted to auto tune it. And I was like, but it's so perfect. She's so good. And it's like, oh, but just let me kind of, cause it's like, okay, you get one. So we just like, <laughs> did one little auto tune. How, how much did you tailor Megan once you had cast and once you, once you knew roughly the tone you wanted to take with the, with, with, with her, uh, for example, I'm thinking of the moment in the therapy room again, where, where Lydia, the, uh, the social worker, you know, says, so I didn't mean to make Katie cry. And, and, and Megan goes, and yet that's what happened, uh, which is just <laughs> this perfectly, like, really menacing, laced with threat moment, but also really, really funny. So was that, Akila, was that something that you, that you had written or was that something that you, you dialed into after casting? I think that might have been dialed into after casting. Um, yeah, I, I mean, think the scene a- with... <laughs> My first draft, a lot more people died. I will say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it was like vocally menacing with Megan in that moment. But I'd have to go back and check. But there was a there was a strong kind of like what differentiated this from Chucky from the get go was that it was more hand that rocks the cradle. Like mm-hmm. it was more about a battle for motherhood over like a, 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 a you know friends to the end thing. So yeah, that was very. Um, yeah, that was that was it was just very uh, appealing. But Megan, like Megan as a character, just like you know, she was the gift that kept on giving. It was like she was almost dictating what she would say in any given moment. Um, so yeah, so it was a it's a, it was a fun character to kind of work with. So so from your point of view, how much is Megan genuinely attached to Katie and genuinely looking out for her best interests and and her survival uh, versus furthering her own ulterior motive for me i really think like um i, <laughs> I think Ma- <laughs> i think megan is you know she becomes whether or not she becomes self-aware and i try not to really get into whether or not she's res- she's achieved sentience because when i was talking to a lot of the researchers they were like just like her following her uh, you know, her own um sort of guidance system and, and doing all of these things is scary enough you don't have to worry about is she conscious it's like you know so it's like but when she realizes in full truth, when Katie's attacked by the dog, that she has to step up, like that's her moment of self-awareness. And from that moment on, the, the it's almost like the real Megan is born out of that moment. And she fully understands that her purpose on this earth is to look after a child. And that's the same thing that happens as a parent. When your kid first gets really hurt, all of a sudden, all those like, failings you have or your insecurities about whether or not you can do this job suddenly all of that goes away and you just go straight into like um like alpha mother wolf protector <laughs> mode you know you just you just and so and so megan so much of megan's um identity is wrapped up in in her wanting to be a mother to mm-hmm. katie and protect her no matter what and when she sees that jim is failing at it it yes. just galvanizes her even more and so it was what, but what was really cool is when we got towards the the, the end of it, um, and you know, I was working with Allison a little bit on, you know, because she she really wanted to understand her character. So there's a little bit of um, uh, sort of changing Gemma to, to really fit Allison. And through out of those conversations, it was like, I guess when Megan and her are battling, it's almost like 
bickering divorced parents. So it's like who who are <laughs> who are like fighting over you know how they should be raising their child and who gets custody on the weekend. And so so uh, suddenly just that Alec Baldwin phone call to to his ex wife about oh. their daughter <laughs> came into my mind. And so I that's kind of to me that's Megan like a slightly hot headed but well meaning parent. You know, and even at the very end, I still think. That's I thought you were going to say Alec Baldwin. <laughs> so, just, yeah, a little like bit a slightly of well-meaning Alec Baldwin, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of Alec in all of us, I think. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is interesting because it's like it is that moment with the dog, but it's not just that. It's like, but it's watching that discussion between Jim and, and the police officer, and nothing happens. Mm. And earlier that day, Gemma, like after the confrontation, when the bite happened, Gemma's like, if you don't put that dog down, I will. And then Gemma doesn't. And so that's Mm. kind of like another moment of Gemma inadvertently giving Megan programming Mm. to follow that Mm. leads to a horrible conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. You're constantly hamstrung as a parent by like law and, you know. A misguided sense of morality, and Megan doesn't have to worry about any of that. Nope. There's there's a really interesting thread that uh, there's you know, about attachment theory that runs all the way through the film as well. And and there's a, there's a moment towards the end where Megan says to Gemma, you know, she talks about all the great times we had together, and because obviously she was mm. with Gemma mm-hmm. for a long, long time before before Katie even came along. And mm. there's a, there's a sense in that that you know that maybe she's trying to take Katie away from Gemma as a kind of revenge in a way that she feels spurned and scorned uh, herself mm-hmm. in a way, which I thought was a really interesting uh, little avenue Yeah, well, I think she, you know, she's, you know, it's funny because we don't get, because in a 90-minute movie, you don't get to explore much of the, the, the backstory. And, you know, if we if we had, it just it would have taken so much longer to get to the character that everyone loves the the, the most. So, but, but it, yeah, it, you can kind of, you, well, that's good that you're picking up on that because you can kind of read yeah. that, that Megan would be pissed off. It's like, you know, M- Megan was Gemma's first child, really. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it's uh, about that, you know, like if we're lucky enough to do another one, I think it would be interesting to, you know, to to delve into that a little bit more. You know, that whole back history that, you know, between them. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas special, Christmas special, Christmas <laughs> special. Um, but uh, there, there's a, again, it's really interesting that the the movie, and it seems that it always ended this way, that it always ended with this confrontation in the house with, with Bruce slash Phil intervening uh, as well, uh, and being very intimate, this confrontation between Gemma and Katie and Megan, because there's a, again, I don't know whether it was, whether it was a temptation, but there, there is a, a sense with a movie like this, with a doll, with this incredible AI capability, um, that you could have ended it at the, demonstration and it, with with Megan somehow uploading her consciousness into other dolls or you know the world wide web or or something was there did it, did you ever think about things like that going down that route and making it a big a bigger ending obviously there's a blumhouse budgetary restrictions in place i guess but did that ever was that ever something you, you talked about Kayla at at the risk of having James Wan call me <laughs> after this <laughs> airs um yes um, again, it was set at Christmas and it was like they were about to launch Megan. So a few more dolls, a lot had been made. And there was like the um, kind of Indiana Jones moment where the guy's like walking through 
the warehouse of of those items uh to put the the thing up and so it's going to kind of be like that like you would have had you know katie saves Gemma. cops arrive everything's going to be good on that end and then cut to the coda which was like a funky employee walking through this warehouse of now like it's just filled with megan dolls mm. and maybe one of them turns on maybe one of them doesn't <laughs> but obviously once like we had to change like locations and all of that like that and i think we went back and forth with that in the script as well as to whether or not we wanted that to be the ending i think it was there the first time and then maybe not the second time and then james was like hey let's put it back uh just in case and then you know mm. things changed uh but yeah that was the original ending was a warehouse full of megan's wow there you go. There we go. But as it is, we end with uh, Megan vanquished, uh, at least for now. And you have Elsie turning on at the end. Um, now, you know, what do you want audiences to take away from that? Is is as Elsie learned something from Megan? Has Megan imparted something of herself into into that that lovable? I don't even know what you call those things. House help. Whatever, whatever the fuck they are. Anyway, but, but it's you know, whatever I, it is. Well, I yeah, I don't. I don't have one. So I, I'm. Yeah. Yeah. I keep trying to ask Blumhouse to get me one, but they're so tight. They wouldn't, they wouldn't <laughs> I that's a joke. I'm just, I never asked them. But I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, it would really help with my research if I could have one. Um, but no, it's, yeah, it's just one of those smart home hubs. Um, that's what they're called. Yeah, that's what they're called. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's just, I, I think, I don't know, p- people can kind of, it's interesting hearing people's take on it. You know, and kind of them telling us what they want to see in a in a in a sequel and how this is all going to play out. That's been part of the the you know the fun of reading all, all of these re- reviews. It's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think people just want want a little bit more Megan, so we just have to keep yeah. you know, to tease it. You know, mm-hmm. there there was actually like there was a post credit scene that we should shot. Um, but I, I yeah, I didn't like it. I was just like, I, I think it cheapens kind of what we could do with this and and so i i kind of felt like in the end we went for the version that just teases it just doesn't limit us really and mm-hmm. what we could do what yeah. was the uh, post-credit sequence well it was like um like it, it appeared it, because of the tight schedule we could <laughs> we couldn't have Brian couldn't come back to it. We couldn't afford, uh, it was either the schedule or the budget, but we couldn't afford to get Brian back. So it looked like in the end, only Tess made it out alive. And I was like, well, they come as a pair. Tess and Cole kind of come as a pair. This is this just feels wrong. What happened to Cole? So this it was constantly this question of what happened to Cole? So we kind of came up with this idea that um, maybe we could have a post-credit scene where like Cole being a toy expert, a qualified expert, he he, he now unboxes toys. <laughs> and so he would unbox like a toy that had, you know, that you know, if Kurt sort of sold those secrets that he would he would um you know have sold it to this company and and you know Cole would be unveiling this um this new doll that but it's like it's so expensive to make those things move so we, he it was like this inanimate kind of object <laughs> and he was trying to get something out of it and you know Brian's a genius and like it, it was it was really funny but it was like I just this feels like a whole other movie this just feels it does feel like a YouTube sketch so so in the end I was like I don't want to do it uh and uh and Cooper was like, well, what do we do? And I was like, well, can we just get a shot of Brian? Can we just get him, just go out in the parking lot and just shoot a shot of him coming out of the car? <laughs> so, we had, so, like, we did this kind of really hokey 
shot in the in the the car park of Blumhouse Editorial, and we had to put a blanket up over the taco stand in the background so that it looked like it was, you know, a cul-de-sac, and and right. so we could just get this little shot of Brian to let you know, yeah, these these two are okay because it felt the tone of the film, it just didn't feel it, that felt too bleak and nasty to leave Cole on the killing room floor. Yeah. Akila, you said earlier on you killed off a lot more people. Did you? Uh, <laughs> were, were Tess and Cole on your chopping block? They were, and and I I, I guess this is like a testament to my writing. But uh, when I got notes from James, he was like, "I love what you've done done here, but can mm. those two survive?" I'm like, mm. "Oh yeah, sure. Like whatever. What do you need? Like cool." He's like, "I love them." I'm like, "Okay, great." <laughs> yeah, they are. They're yeah. fun, and they, they're kind of like. Yeah, they're, 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 their film's kind of like um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstein, really. They're, you know, <laughs> they're just, yeah. And there was a lot more of them in the original script, right, Akila? And I yeah. desperately wanted to do, that whole lab was supposed to go up in flames. Yep. But we just couldn't afford. And I <laughs> think there was like a sequence where they are chasing after Megan and they have to mm. go into like part of the company that has like doll parts. Hmm. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's like, right. Yeah, yeah. And like, there was like this whole like, uh, cat and mouse, like, with with like inanimate, like, just various parts of dolls in various stages of development. And they had to find Megan, and then she she blew that up. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was so hard. Like, this is a 30 day shoot. It was like, you know, so we all yeah. turned up to, on that day, like, fully expecting to put this lab into flames. And the special effects guy was like there with this flame bar ready to go. and here and the, everyone was looking at me like we're not gonna survive this i was like yeah i get it i get it so that was one of the most challenging things where you kind of have to think on your feet and say hey you know those big um those big uh bottles in that cage that have flammable on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just have her stick a soldering iron into that and and have a big explosion and the special effects guy was like i get to do an explosion a big explosion a really big <laughs> I was like, yes, we can do the. That'll be the button of the scene. A really big explosion. No, no, you know, yeah. firing inferno. But yes, one really big explosion. Yes, and 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 it was a really. It was, it was it, and it turned out that was kind of enough. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, I I love that. I, I have to say, I'm very very glad they survived because uh, I I thought from the the minute they appeared on screen. Dead meat and dead meat too, uh, and, and, and they've got they've got such personality, uh, and I'm glad they're sticking around, uh, albeit yeah. with a sore yeah. neck for and, a while at least. Yeah, Jen, Jen Van Epps, who played Tess, is so talented. She she's like she was in the states as an actress, um, and kind of like not just not getting that much work. She came to New Zealand with her husband as a doctor, and then all of a sudden she's getting cast in every every production that comes to. Um, New Zealand that kind of needs someone with a pretty good American accent. She's never been busier. So it's really oh, wow. great. She's having this kind of like surge and it's really, really sweet, you know, because uh yeah, she's kind of like she's having a good time. And Brian and Jordan Alvarez, like if you've ever go, like go onto YouTube or Instagram or wherever he does his sketches, um, you thank me later. Like he's just so funny. He's just so ridiculously funny. Amazing. Will do, will do. Well, well. One character that you do kill off, and I think everyone's glad to see that you do kill off, is um, a 12-year-old boy uh, who frankly <laughs> deserved what he got, and um, it, it should have been even more gruesome, if you ask me. But yes, uh, can you talk about that, about killing killing the kid, killing the bully? Well, it's one of the it's wish fulfillment, right? It kills, uh-huh. like, the things oh, yeah. you can't. 
do, but you wish you could. And but and Megan can, like Megan's not inhibited, you know. Yeah. Um. And and yeah. And so yeah, he was that. I've always felt from the get go. I was like, yeah, that kid's gonna grow up to be a little, you know, Christian Bale, an American Psycho. So he, he's got to be, <laughs> you know, he's got to get God. Yeah. But that, that's yeah. that, that's that's a that's a that's a great moment because it, it's 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 weird because the audience is rooting for Megan in that moment. Uh, it's also a moment where she kind of uncorks what she can do. It's one that you know mm. this is the part where you should run is one of the the funniest lines for her as well. But at the same time, you're killing a kid. This is horror, and yeah, uh, Blum Blumhouse, you know, have have dabbled in areas like this before. But were there any conversations about actually? Pushing a kid under a under a truck or having his ear nearly ripped off, which is one of the most memorable images in the film. I I can't remember exactly. I think there there probably was of like, do we have to kill the kid? It's like I kill the dog, you guys. Um, <laughs> you, yeah, you start just, with the dog, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> like downhill just, from there. Just at script level, but that came from obviously it was like building out Katie's world in this new life. Um, but that came from a pet peeve of mine where you have children in danger in horror movies and then they're children so you know nothing is going to happen to them like they're kids someone's gonna swoop in or the monster is gonna like skitter off at the last minute you know and i i that's like a pet peeve of mine and so i was like i'm gonna kill him i'm gonna kill him and then audiences are gonna know that anything goes in this movie megan has not come to play that yeah. that that young kid Jack was a, actually a last minute replacement. We had a um a really great um little kid line up to play that, and he he couldn't do it at the last minute. Um, he had a family um uh, funeral, and so Jack stepped in, and Jack was the sweetest little kid. But then when he gets going, he just has this in- <laughs> he just has this really kind of menacing bullying energy, and he just ha- he can just put on this face that you're like, okay, yeah, that works, that works. I think. I think people are going to be rooting for this 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 little guy to get it. Yeah. So and yeah. and again, I applaud like what you were able to do, Gerard, with thirty days because like in the script that was a longer sequence of bullying. Like mm. there were multiple scenes of him mm. bullying Katie to get Megan to that point where she's like, "Okay, I'm done." And you're right. Yeah, and it, I do feel like it's underdeveloped that that, <laughs> but this, <laughs> but because of Jack's face, the audience oh, yeah, just you knows. It. It's like they build that history. Time stops, and the audience fills in that history themselves, and just wants to see that kid get got. And uh, and yeah. and so we, we oblige. The ear is an incredible moment. How far? Yeah, that's where the workshop they built that. So they molded this ear. That was one of the most fun kind of things we had, you know. And when you do these right. movies, it's like when you're dispatching people, you've like you've just got to I don't know, you've just got to give people something to talk about and you know, you 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 build these deaths based on everything that's come before you and you just know you've got to go somewhere different. So, but it's just like I guess it's a um it's uh you know, <laughs> it's just like it's an extension of it's a, no pun intended of you know grabbing a kid you know by the ear when he's misbehaving and it's just yeah it was just, it was just so fun so fun to do that um but you know we could not have predicted that we would have got a little girl that could literally run on all fours like Boston Dynamics mm. dog um so yeah that you know full credit goes to the the miracle that is Amy Donald. That's incredible. And also, uh, from that moment on, Brandon has to go because he's seen too much. He knows what Megan's capable of, so he has to go. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no one's worried. People are really upset about the dog, but no one's worried about that kid. I'm, I'm very upset about the dog. That was a, that was a good dog. Yeah, it was it's, a good dog, Akila. It's a no go. I mean, Akila, I'm really surprised you did it because, like, afterwards, I learned from so many producers. It's like you never kill a dog. You just, you know, test, no. test screening numbers always just plummet when you kill a dog. And I was like, why didn't anyone warn me? I didn't know that because I wasn't I, a dog. I finally just got a puppy, and now I get it. Um, I had cats and I, and I love dogs. I've had dogs and, and I get it. I do. And I wrestled with that for a long time. Like, even after I turned in like my last draft, I was just like, should I just like call people and be like, Hey, can we not? But I'm like, no, I kill a dog and I kill a child, which are the two things you're not supposed to do. And those are the things that's like this, this horror movie is not fucking around. (laughs) Guys, I've got to let you go in a second. There's just a couple of real quick things I wanted to I wanted to ask you. Um, the the killing of Brandon uh, is really interesting. It raises obviously issues of how complicit Katie is because she knows something shady went down, and you know how far she's willing to go on the Megan train and how far she's willing to hitch a wagon to Megan. But it also leads <laughs> to one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is this one scene appearance from one of the worst cops in movie history. <laughs> <laughs> the the I'm sorry I shouldn't laugh moment is just genius. Where did where did that come from? Where did that character come from? Um, that's Millen's like a really dear friend of mine, and yeah. he's just he's kind of like this unsung comedic hero in, in New Zealand. Really, like he's um yeah he's our generation's John Clark, and no one knows who that is either. But John Clark <laughs> is kind of like the Australasian comedy legend, and um and you know like I think that point in the story it was like. It was very necessary to go from death to the police coming. Like, you just no getting around it, right, Akila? That was in this. In this, it's like it's just yeah. like the cops are gonna come knocking. Um, and uh, and but I was again, you're always trying to kind of subvert expectations. So it's like this might be dumb, <laughs> but but you know, if the cop kind of just maybe just I don't know made made an <laughs> we got a little bit David Lynch and the the cop just made an inappropriate joke about it and i just knew millen would it was a it was a really silly idea but i just knew millen would be the guy to deliver it and um it's been really great to see him getting singled out in reviews for like being essentially like a day player you know who's in one scene it just kind of steal, he completely steals the show he does um, yeah, he, he's in the States right now. Look, I, I was trying to help him get an agent last week. <laughs> and then this week, I'm reading all these reviews and I was like, Miller, I think we're good. I don't think we're going to have a problem <laughs> with this agent search. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's yeah. so cool. Yeah, I want to see more of this guy. I want to I want to see a, a spin-off, perhaps, you know, in the Megan Cinematic Universe or, or the MCU, if you will. I don't know whether that's been, been used before, but that's, I would love to see more of that. Yeah, well, well he could come back. He, he could definitely come back. Yeah, he, he survived. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, listen, guys, there's so much I could talk to you about this movie, but I, I believe, Gerard, you've got a, a live interview, so I've got to let you guys go. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much indeed. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Bye. That was awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Take care. So that was Gerard Johnstone and Akila Cooper, uh, and they were brilliant guys. I mean, insightful, funny, <laughs> candid, <laughs> but enough about me. They were also good. Uh, let's talk about Megan. This was my second time tonight, uh, so I'm going to shut up for for a little bit, except to say that if there's a better film than this this year, 
Uh, <laughs> it will be the Equalizer 3. We it know you're going to say it. We know oh, you're yes. going to say it. Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, my God. Anyway, I, I am I am high on Megan's supply. Uh, what about you guys? Me- uh, Megan? Helen? <laughs> no. Megan O'Hara. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. Um, In fact, I was going to be called Megan if I wasn't called <gasps> Sophie. Mm. So no Watch way. your backs, guys. Really? <laughs> yep. You would it was have been almost Megan, a Megan. You would have been Megan Butcher, which is exactly what she does in this film. <laughs> exactly. That's a come on. Huh? Not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> That's extraordinary stuff. Helen, has uh, has Megan worn off yet? Or where, where do you stand? I, I liked it. I didn't. Oh! I, wanted, look, <laughs> I wanted it to go full on malignant, full on barbarian. And for me, it didn't quite get there. But I had a really good time. Uh, that's all you can ask for, isn't it? All you can ask for with a creepy robot doll. A good time. I could ask for it not to kill me, I guess. Yeah, yeah this is true. Super cool. Yeah. I, why do people make titanium skeletons for these things? Why do they make it so they can bend over backwards and do super creepy walks? Why is that a design feature? Because it looks cool. <laughs> but why would you... What, you know, if you're putting this thing together, why do you make it stronger than a person? Just just from a just a just general, it, like, you know, consumer safety point of view. Make it out of mache Where's the consumer safety? That's what I want to know. Where's the testing? If, yeah. we're, if we're asking questions that start with why, I have a whole list and we'll be here for like five hours. But Yes, you know. a Mons horror movie checkpoint or whatever it is that he was trying to make happen <laughs> after, after the last thing we did like this. Uh, Alex, Sophie, who have now, now are sharing one mic. That's, that's fine, Sophie. You're actually probably a better place to, to share Alex's mic. Um, where, where, are you, like me, still just... No. <laughs> okay. I am not like you. Is don't you dare <laughs> ever suggest that I am in any way. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. I, um, to Helen's point about you wanted it to go harder, I guess, and nastier. Not, and no, 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 not saying that. No, funnier. Funnier. It wasn't funnier. as funny as I wanted really? it to be. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. No, I didn't think it was. But I it thought is it the was, there were moments where it was, but not really? consistently. No. It had me I laughing th- from th- the off. Her face is funny. It's just, yeah. I don't know how they've designed that face to be with one small movement of the mm. head, you laugh mm. or you get scared. There's something about the eyes that. Are we talking about Helen or Megan here? Sorry, I, I just want to double check. <laughs> no, Megan, that's fair. Megan Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> but Alex, did you find it funny? Yes. I was sat next to you and I feel like I didn't hear you laugh like very much. I'm a, Me I'm and Mike were cackling away. Laugher. I was like, is Alex enjoying this? I'm a quiet not? laugher. Okay. I'm not demonstrative. I sat next to Phil Dissembly in form of this parish and uh, now of Time Out. Has anyone heard of that? Mm, no. Mm-hmm. No, okay. No. Uh, and uh, I was guffawing all the way through and every now and again he would just go, Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but he liked it. But he liked it. He yeah. liked it. That, we were... That's his. That's that's big praise from Phil. I know. To get a hum is. <laughs> is oh, a I will thing. laugh louder next time, so okay. you know that I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for You're your lacutumen. I enjoyed every bit of it. I, you know, I think it's exactly what it should be. I don't know if it's the best film in the world. I think Whoa. it's exactly what it's <laughs> set out to be. And I do love the fact that for all... I, look, I love uh, The Way of Water. I love that film. But for all of James Cameron's work... Megan The Way of Water would be much better. <laughs> <laughs> Megan The Seed Bearer. <laughs> well, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jason Blum. I'm sorry, James Cameron. I'm sorry, Mum. 
I'm sorry, Megan. I think you should apologize. I to apologize Megan. to Megan. You apologize to Megan right the fuck now. Uh, <laughs> I, by the I, way, the seat bear is meant to be the, the title of Avatar 3 in case people yeah. didn't yes. get that. that okay. Very obscure. <laughs> that. In case you didn't get my really funny joke. Yeah, very funny. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, I, I, a bit rude. I, a bit of blue so, for the dad. Sorry, I thought it was okay on this podcast. I was mistaken. <laughs> but um, I, I like for all of James Cameron's hard work over the years... Um, Megan is the film to save cinema. Megan is <laughs> Megan is the big story of twenty twenty, and probably already more profitable percentage wise than Avatar, right? Possibly, yeah. Oh, percentage so, wise, possibly, yeah. a success story. Anybody, a, anybody can outgross a James Cameron film percentage wise. Well, you say that, mm-hmm. you know. and arguably, without the Terminator, would we have Megan? Oh, that's true. That, that is, is a fair true. point. Really, James Cameron mm. did save cinema. He is the father of Megan. And, and actually, you know, somebody using a mecha to take down the monster in the last act is pretty alien. Oh my God, is this a James Cameron movie? <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. Uh, Good point, yeah. Mm. Sophie, where do you stand on, on Megan apart from on her neck? As you should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of fun. I was so hyped for this. I've been, I was off work last week and I was... Sadly, there at home, counting down the days until the Megan screening. Is that all you did? Yeah, didn't do anything else. <laughs> um, I could see everyone tweeting about it, how it lives up to the hype, and I just wanted to be part of the hype, and now I am, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy about it. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. I just it had was... an update. Uh, BoxOfficeMojo.com uh, has just said that Megan has gone past the $3 billion barrier in the, <laughs> oh, in the States alone. It is officially profitable, It's guys. officially profitable. It's just, it's just Jason Blum going back again and again. Yeah. again. It'll just so be can, me going so back, then, back again. So then he can send himself a big check. <laughs> this doesn't work out. The economics of this don't work out at all. Uh, Amon, where do you stand on Megan? I had a great time. I had a great time. It was really, really fun. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't trying to scare me, which is always a plus <laughs> in some horror films. Anyway, in this horror film, it's aiming for more of the comedic bent. And I was laughing, uh, cackling pretty consistently all the way through. And I liked that in the midst of the fun that we were having, it was actually the themes of the film in terms of the parenting, mm. in terms of taking in a girl who's just lost her parents and trying to be there for her. I really like the way that they developed that storyline as well. And I've always liked Alison Williams. Obviously, Get Out, she's incredible in. Um, I'm glad that she's back in doing this type of work because she's great at them. That stuff you're talking about, the parenting mm-hmm. and the trauma, and the, that's mm-hmm. why it works. Yeah, That's why the film works. You're invested in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a, it's a good character-driven story. Yeah. It's, it knows how to go from dramatic stuff to comedic stuff yeah. and tiptoe back, back and forth between those two turns. It does that very well all the way through um, and never felt dishonest and never took me out of the movie at any point. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see, Helen, you didn't find that. You saw it in a screening room with a bunch of stuffy journalists, I'm guessing. But I saw that's the first time. First time I saw it was mm. me and one other bloke and a security guard, uh, and I was cacked in all the way through. And the security guard was very into it. He was very is, into the, it. The, just, just to like let you peek behind the curtain for a moment. The mm. security guard was at it, was it Dave? I'm not. 
I don't want to name any names. And I don't want to. There is there is a security guard at a screening room, which yes. will remain nameless, who basically tells you what star rating you should be giving the film when you yeah. when he goes in. Um, and, and he is, you know, sometimes he will go as low as three. Like he he has some company loyalty. He won't go lower than three, but he will go as far mm-hmm. down as three. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he he recommended. This this is at least a four. At said, least a at four. At least a four. See, I would also recommend it as least as at least a four. But yeah. uh, I thought it was very funny, very funny indeed. And uh, I was cacking all the way through. As the security guard said to me at the end, he went, "Ah, you're cacking all the way through that there." <laughs> uh, he's Irish, by the way. Uh, may, I don't know who you mean. Totally may different person. May have given it away there, yeah. but uh, yeah. this is, I, my God, this a niche reference. But uh, but I will say <laughs> that. Uh, it, I thought this was tremendously funny. There's there's little asides and throwaway remarks all the way through the film that just crack me up. There's the moment where um, Gemma, played by Alison Williams, after the nosy neighbour has been iced by by Megan, and the uh, I think it's a great entry into the annals of shit movie policemen, uh, mm-hmm. where, where the, the detective who's in it for literally one scene. And he's taking her statement. He's like, yeah, this is the second statement we got from you. That's a bit weird. And it was like, you know, because you, you were there when that boy died. Uh, well, we thought it was a, we thought it was an accident, but then we found his ear pulled off. Mm. It pulled right off 200 yards and he starts laughing. He goes, yeah. sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. And that, that was that a great moment. Alone, that I was, was just a great like, moment. That is absolutely right there. And this movie for me, we've, we've had this discussion on the podcast before. This movie for me is the definitive answer as to whether James Wan and Akila Cooper intended for Malignant to be funny. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. Lee obviously did, you know. James Wan has said as much uh, in, in the in Empire Magazine, in fact. Um, but yes, this is both of those movies are comedies. I see what you mean, Helen. If you go into this expecting *Malignant* Part Two and a big old twist that slaps you around the chops and reinvents everything, and it's incredibly dark, you're not going to get that. I didn't need a twist. I just needed, I think. A- I, I expected from from all the stuff I'd heard, not least from you, but you know, from the US and everything as well. I was kind of expecting. I, I just didn't feel as gonzo as I expected it to, except in moments. Like, you know, when she's stalking the CEO through the red corridors, mm. that was pretty that was pretty fun. That would but I expected more of that and it felt like it took an awful long time to get there and then didn't actually spend very long there. Right. Um so I loved the I loved the I loved that they went there in the forest with the bully. Mm. They like I thought he was just gonna lose an ear. Nope. They full on killed him. <laughs> Super okay with that. Um, and similarly, you know, with with the the CEO and and his his sidekick. But um, although I thought there'd be a sort of anyway, we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, I I just I I wanted more consistently that. Uh, so maybe I'm just more bloodthirsty. Maybe it is a bit of bloodthirstiness, but it's also mm. the comedy blood that I wanted. Maybe it's so funny when I saw that dance in the corridors in the trailers. It made me laugh, but it also is like, I'm, I'm intrigued to know what the explanation is for why she did that. There is no explanation that kind of makes it funny, <laughs> which is great. I love that. She's just, she's becoming, she's belonging. She's like the red dragon in I, I, Red I, Dragon. I loved how she was such a bastard, uh, especially <laughs> psychologically. That was yeah. the stuff that really made me laugh. The scene where she's with the kid and the therapist, and the therapist mm. says, I didn't mean to make her cry, and she says, and yet it, that's it happened. what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was really yeah. horrible woman. Yeah. yeah, she's awful, but also brilliant. Yeah. Mm. We love Megan. God, you're exhausting, Gemma. Yes. <laughs> but which makes me think, and it, it seemed like it from the beginning, that even when Gemma was turning her off, was she ever, no, was she ever so. off? Yeah. Like, she was just pretending the whole time, I think. Do you think? 
<laughs> and it was, no, it was is, it, is that ambiguous or I don't know if I don't think it's ever stated but I think yeah. you know. there's a couple of there's a couple of sort of POV shots when she's in the lab when yeah. I think she's meant to be off and you're getting her POV so yeah. I, I sort of suspected immediately it's not a very off off you know the way that some mm. sometimes there's there's a quite clear signal that this thing whatever it is is turned off Megan really doesn't have that. It's just a slight difference of pose. So you're always suspicious of her. There's no moment in the film where you're not suspicious of her. I'm intrigued to have found out from Gerard and Akila <laughs> how many changes and iterations this movie went through. Mm. You know, did it always end, for example, with that sort of very intimate family confrontation with uh, Chekhov's Bruce coming back to, <laughs> to you know, save the day? Mm. Uh, or was there something bigger? For example, I thought it was going to end on a sort of upgrade-style note where uh, Megan won and uploaded her consciousness into everything around mm-hmm. the world and well, yeah, emerged victorious. There's a sense that she has done that? To, there to is a yeah. bit, yeah. yeah. And because mm-hmm. when the guys stole the plans for mm-hmm. her, I thought... I could see that like more Megans were gonna get mm-hmm. made and like it was gonna she was gonna sort of swarm yep. the universe with like an army of Megans. It is a and it didn't so, like, really yeah, go was, anywhere, did it though? No. No, what you're talking about is the plot of M. Forgan. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I mean again, it doesn't well make done, any Emma. sense. But like but yeah, so I that's what I was about to say before, but I didn't want to because I actually had to leave before the credits because I had to rush another meeting. So there wasn't a post-credit scene suggesting exactly that. We didn't hang around. We uh, actually didn't. See the first it. time I, the first time I watched it, I hung around. There wasn't. Anything. There wasn't. Okay. Yeah. So unless they've so. added Sam Jackson, I don't. Right, think. turning up to. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he could do worse, you know, for fighting bad guys. But, um, but yeah, I, I genuinely think, you know, is that the sequel? Is it sort of the iRobot sequel where all the, you know. Uh, white iMac-looking dudes <laughs> swarm the city. All the Megans come to life at, yeah. at one point because you'd need to have your Me- you don't you need to have Megan in a Megan sequel, right, for that to work. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it yeah. begs the question: Who would manufacture it? But it's, it's the same thing with Jurassic Park. Who would build the park, knowing everything that went wrong, and yet they did mm. uh, many, well, many times. We don't know the time frame from when the dude stole the plans and presumably sold it to people. We don't know if they know that everything's gone foobar by the time that they've already made the thing. Well, what's interesting is she suggests he didn't steal it to sell. She suggests he just stole it for badness, mm-hmm. which was interesting and not what I expected at all because as we've discussed, you know, I thought it was going the industrial espionage route. Mm-hmm. So maybe they aren't committing themselves to that as a, as a thing. But, you know, look, it, it, it does make a certain amount of sense if there's companies out there sort of making, fiendishly making cheaper versions of their products Somebody could make a cheaper version of, or just a version of Megan. Um, but yeah, you're right. Then how do you get that iconic look back? Um, and that's presumably what they're going to want for any sequel. Yeah, you'd think anyone in that world who will then see the news reports of people being killed by that robot would not then make one. So will they? Will they? See, will they see news reports though? That's a fair question because. Company legal is going to be all over this shit. So she won't necessarily be done for the CEO and the uh, the assistant. It could be that her cover story sticks. But for why? Them. Why? The, but why do all the police show up at the end? Well, because, but the police showing up, you know, can be bought off as well. So company legal has already been involved. She's company property. There's company liability. We've all heard of major corporations, you know, squashing 
even wrongful death suits mm-hmm. and getting away pretty much scot-free. Do you want to name any now? Uh, just I absolutely no. <laughs> would love to, but I, I you know, because they've been squashed, so I don't yeah. know about them. But we all know that it has happened. We've probably already got a security guard fired on this conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I think there is the, the very real possibility that she, her reputation is relatively unscathed. I don't um, know about Gemma's, that. Gemma's, you mean? No, Megan's. Megan's. I mean, rumours, oh, okay, rumours, okay. but not an actual... Because I was thinking when the police showed up, I was like, this is all like a very nice happy ending, but surely Katie's going to lose Gemma and she's not going to go to jail for creating a monster and trying That's to good. sell oh, it to oh, the world. Oh, oh, I was like, I this know. isn't going to end happening. Do we have well, a trained barrister in the house? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is men's rare, right? This, this is, is Megan's well, this is Megan's rare. Megan's rare. Oh my God. <laughs> well, of course, Megan has no criminal liability. She is a thing. So the question would be, who She's does... She's a thing? She's not... Oh, I see. You not from not the movie. John Carpenter's Chris, Not John Carpenter's the thing. Okay. She's... Okay. No, John Carpenter was not involved as far as we know. As far as we know, we can't rule it out. This, so, this, is, this is not something that I would tell Megan directly to her face, by the way. It is, no. a, it is a question of corporate liability. Um, and it is a question of what the company does. And Gemma clearly is under a lot of um, intellectual property contracts with the company, was acting in the course of her employment with the company. Uh, they could try to throw her under the bus and might well try that. Um, but they might also just throw money at the situation and cover it up entirely. You might have already thought this through more than the filmmakers, I think. That is also possible. But look, we've discussed this many, many times. Like, so many horror films, the ending makes no sense. You've said it for years, Chris. So many Many horror films, the lone survivor would Mm. immediately be the primary suspect for all of the killings that have occurred. Ash has got so much of his girlfriend's DNA and blood on him at the end of (laughs) any Evil Dead. Yeah, so like what is, you know, what's going to happen, most of them are going to be locked up for life, like the survivors, the heroes of these films. I think we have to assume in this case that it's a happy ending because there is that moment of rapprochement between uh, Gemma and little girl, whose name I have temporarily forgotten. And That's totally fine. Uh, Katie. I, I Katie, yes. thank Katie, you, Katie. Katie. Thank you. Um, so Gemma and Katie have got themselves into a better place in that in those final scenes mm. I think Katie's going to want to stay with Gemma now I think Gemma has shown she is you know going to <laughs> go out of her way to protect Katie and it's just a question of you know clearing up the pieces I've actually just remembered the the two is it just two deaths in the there's company four in, in the company there's, yeah, there's two but deaths they, yeah. they, she framed them to make it look as if he did yeah. Yeah, murder them, anyway. but the two yeah. but then again we know that uh, that uh, Gemma's sidekicks Survive. Uh, it looks like they're they're goners, but they actually survived. They've yeah. survived. What about the psychologist? She got away clean, didn't she? She got away clean because okay. I thought she was dead meat yeah, from, I from, so. from minute one. The mm. second she turned up, I thought, oh, she's a goner. But then mm. that would absolutely mean that Gemma loses Katie. I suspect that's probably going to happen anyway. But uh, but who knows? We'll find out in M three Gifhorn. <laughs> which is obviously what it, it would have to it be. Make the right the I feel like that could work. Oh yeah, that's true. That's I feel true. like Gemma is a very terrible parent throughout. Like awful. Did you buy yeah. the turn? I mean, because the movie needs the turn. It needs her to realize that Katie, uh, whose name I totally remembered, is the thing that's most important in her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's been so awful <laughs> all the way through the film. Wittily played, I have to say, by by Alison Williams. Mm. And I think yeah. if you didn't have a, an actress as mm. likable as Alison Williams, you'd really struggle with that character. Uh, but 
She's been so awful all the way up through the movie until the movie requires her not to be. That's one of my few quibbles with this otherwise perfect five-star diamond gem of a movie. But did you buy that turn at the end when suddenly she realises that, no, there's more to life than just playing around with dolls? I think I, she may well realise it, whether then she will go on to you know, act on it, behave mm. properly is a different matter. I mean, she'd be too stupid to not realize, oh, this hasn't quite worked out what I've been doing. <laughs> but um, does it mean that she's suddenly going to become a good parent? No. I mean, the next day she might, you know, I've got a lot of work to do. Sorry. <laughs> I, okay. I think, all right. I actually have some hope here. So here's why she, it isn't an, uh, a snap transition. There is a process of, realizing that things are going wrong and realizing yeah, loads of people are being killed <laughs> no no before not the not the killings i'm talking about her relationship with katie and katie's relationship with megan mm-hmm. so she real Kate, Gemma realizes that i've fucked up somehow she's this dependent on megan and she's this like absolutely tied up in megan i this is wrong this is not how it's supposed to be and there mm-hmm. is a That's process true. there over at least days or weeks of sort of realizing okay shit something's going to have to change I thought the way that she was portrayed in terms of like just being into her work, having a very nice life that she's very happy with, and then suddenly you've got this other person in it, and what the fuck, is I think very relatable and very understandable, and I think something that probably every new parent who hasn't been mentally preparing themselves for years has to deal with. And I, I think even you know, so, even so, even honestly, then, I speak yeah. from recent experience, right? Uh, you exactly. Know, and, yeah. And, you know, yeah. And Alex, you're you're a dad as well. I mean, and and even though you have time to prepare nothing prepared me for what mm. life was going to be like when someone who wasn't me or my wife was in our yeah. flat asking asking us for stuff um mm-hmm. you know asking for you know food and clothing and warmth what the fuck uh so yeah sometimes it's, it's it feels so like my daughter has got a bit of megan in her as well <laughs> well yeah i mean like i think i think i think a lot of kids do but so so like i think the, the you know the way that she didn't immediately deal with it, especially since they're both grieving they're both messed up by grief I think it makes total, total sense. And I think the slow realization that she might have to change makes sense. And I think it's coupled mm. with that disillusionment with work. Like, yes, yeah, she's working really hard to get Megan ready, but she also has grave and growing misgivings mm. for a whole lot of reasons, namely murder. <laughs> murder, 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 murder. And and so it's it's the disillusionment with work plus the growing realization that gives me hope that there is actually room to change there. Well, something else that I think it was doing in the final half hour maybe of the film that I felt like it was beginning to explore but didn't really... I think he was just doing it very subtly, was that um, Katie was being exploited mm-hmm. by her mm-hmm. and the company. She was becoming the face of that company, coming in for the demonstrations, you know, being the big star of the live feed. Um, I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think anyone says anything about that. I don't think anything. No, but you no. see it all on you Gemma's on face. Alison, yes, yeah, you see it on the face. Yeah. Yeah. I think... There are a couple of really interesting things. Uh, I want to bring him on in for his Freddy Catometer in a second. Uh, I want to go through all the moments in, in this movie that made you jump or wince slightly. But mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of really interesting things about that. There's, you know, I think the movie does a pretty good job, I have to say, of making Katie seem ambivalent enough towards Gemma that you think in the final battle that she might just this might be a dark ending where she sides with Megan and they both fall off Gemma and go off to live a happy life together 
Uh, well, we're made. Fi- they want McGraw. us to think that. Mm. They want us to think that. And and Philip McGraw is tremendous all the way through. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a a kid who is you know experiencing raw um, emotion and loss, and she she processes it really really well and, and portrays it really really well. Uh, so they do a really really good job of tiptoeing that line, so that you know when she comes up with Bruce at the end, that you're I genuinely wasn't sure whether she was going to do that. I had a feeling that Bruce was going to come in right from the off that you know he was going to come in and and be a big player in the third act but uh, I wasn't sure that it was going to be Katie wielding the gloves the other thing is interesting is the the social worker the care the the care worker says to um Gemma she says to her you know about attachment theory and there's a late breaking thread in the movie that I wonder if it was developed elsewhere whether there are scenes that were cut out where you get a sense that well if you get a sense Megan comes out and says it that she basically considers Gemma to be her mother and that they were playing together for months if not years before she properly came online so when she first comes online in the first few minutes of the movie she's absolutely self-aware at that point mm-hmm. they just don't know it and she's she feels betrayed by her mother slash sister slash best friend but there's you know she's attached herself to Gemma and feels utterly betrayed uh, Do you think she out. does? Because I, I got the impression more that she was saying that as a bit of a game I no I, th- I think that's maybe something that maybe because it's a it's a brisk 102 minutes w- with credits I wonder if there was something else in there at some point but I, yeah, I that's that's how I how I read it certainly okay mm. I was just gonna ask did two, two fathers in the room did this make you think about the screen time aspect of <laughs> Oh yeah, big time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we drove back from Liverpool the other day, and um, <laughs> she had little little drinking game had Muppet Babies on the iPad until mm. it ran out of battery, mm. uh, because you know it's a long journey. That's a six, seven, eight hour journey, and yeah, and I Spy only goes so far. Uh, <laughs> I know all the things about screen time. You know, you only meant to do what five or six hours a day, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, we, we had to, we had to toss the rules out the window for that one. Alex, what about you? Well, it it wasn't so much the screen time stuff that resonated me because my daughter's a little too young to, to be too attached to that stuff at the moment. But it was more about the earlier stuff when you're working and maybe not always being as attentive as mm. you think you could be or mm-hmm. should be. You know, there's there's often I have my daughter on my lap and she's watching Twirly Woos. Or, oh boy! You know, <laughs> sport is um, special for Tory Lewis's, by the way. Honestly, my, <laughs> yeah. my niece and nephew were addicted when they were younger. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's all right, but I'm she's sitting on my lap, and I feel like I don't have to always engage completely with what's going on on the television. So Tory Lewis is parenting for you, and there, that that was a big thread of this movie, which mm-hmm. is like. If you don't engage with your kids, <laughs> yeah. If you, if you substitute something for yourself with your kids. Then what is your what's your major but malfunction? What's your what's your purpose in a way? Yeah, but she mm. she's with me and she's watching TV and she's on my lap, so she can't see me because she's sitting on me. I'm behind her, but I will sometimes be on my phone because I can't just watch Twirly Woods for half an hour because yeah. it doesn't stimulate. It's very me. boring. It's, it's not, very very it, dull. It doesn't work on many levels, and so you know. But, but sometimes even then, you know, she might have a glimpse of me and I'm just looking at my phone and I feel guilty and think, oh no, I must engage with Twirly Woos to make her feel like I'm having the same fun experience as she has. But, you know. I don't know what Twirly Woos is telling her. I know. I miss I mean, Twirly Woos. Starting we, should, an we, can be, we can be pretty sure of what Twirly Woos is saying. <laughs> I've never seen Twirly Woos. You're, not, oh, you're not missing a lot. Kill daddy. Kill daddy. <laughs> but uh, actually, I read a really interesting uh, article recently which was arguing that all of these kind of 
hyper, quote unquote, interactive toys. So the toys that talk back to kids, the toys that do a lot of stuff yeah. for kids mm. um, are actually very bad and that they are bad not because screen time or because, you know, the, the passive whatever. It's because they do too much and the kids have to put too little into them to get anything back. So there's no, you know, it's it's like, I, you know, I feel this sometimes as an adult with the massive, amazing Lego sets, right? They're amazing. They mm. You end up with something that is gorgeous and detailed and incredible. But also, I would like to be able to do that with just some random blocks. Now, I can't because I'm just not that creative. But that's real mm. creativity is the people who can just take some Lego and make a dragon out of it. Not the people who get I can't the, the box and get the instructions and follow the instructions and make a dragon. And I feel like, you know, that's what a lot of kids' toys today, all these kind of hyper, you know, robotic, uh, 60 million different programmed songs and they, you know, twirl backwards um, every time you ask them to. Mm. That's what they're kind of leaving yeah. out, the, the sort of the creative elements, um, which is very, very important, apparently, according yeah. to psychologists in, my day, in this article. We had a stick with a rusty nail <laughs> beaten through it and you would just hit your best friends with it Preferably uh, not yes, in the face. But that was Northern Ireland, Chris. It was so Northern it's Ireland. A different thing. It, it it's toughened a different you up. Thing. The school over there was a different thing. Different thing altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. That that is a worry I have as well. But listen, you know, twirly woos may work barely on one level, but <laughs> Megan works on at least two levels, uh, as evidenced by us talking about all that highfalutin thematic stuff. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, it is a uh, scary-ish film that attempts to make you jump from time to time and has lots of kills in it and as such Amon Warman the Frady Cat of this group <coughs> uh, on your Frady Catometer whatever the fuck you call it uh, where, where were you? Because I told you beforehand it ain't scary but it is fun Yeah I think I'm around about a four the scary, the, 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 out of what? A thousand? Uh, uh, six, six, six. <laughs> a four out of six, six, six. Four out of ten. Four okay. out of ten. Um, there were a couple of moments that got me like that moment uh, with the therapist when he when Megan suddenly appears behind the therapist, I didn't see that coming. That that made me jump. Um, there, there was another moment. I'm trying to think of what it was. The the the, the couple dog times stuff of, was like the biggest jump scare. I thought mm, when the dog yeah. gets Megan. Yes, first, and then when Megan yeah. gets the dog. <laughs> yes. Oh, that one got me for real. Yeah. Um, I, I love, by the way, Megan's line when um, her owner asks, confronts Megan, or Megan confronts the owner. Where, where's where's Dewey? Where's my dog? Uh, by the way, stop killing off things called Dewey in horror films. By the way, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. Uh, and she goes, she goes. Dewey is thirty-seven feet north to the northeast and approximately five feet under. <laughs> She's got a wicked sense of humor, that girl. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't the jump scares that got me. I don't find it scary, but it is tense. It's quite stressful, and it's more about. Megan's behavior and her looks that just unsettle you, I think, that makes it quite scary rather than something suddenly being loud. It's the flat stare that's yeah. really quite, quite disturbing and unsettling. Yeah. yeah. But it Uncanny weirdly, Valley all over the place. Yeah, but she weirdly looks sometimes like she's got like a darker look in her eyes, but her face hasn't changed. And you're like, mm. stare, you're like, Looking at her face, like what's different? You look more evil, but I'm not sure That's what quite I mean. how. This is like the Mona Lisa. I think the like the effects were done really well on yeah. her because she looks weird, but she's meant to look weird. And great I also girl. thought the costume design was really great. That's <laughs> really part of great. what makes it so funny: Fashion the icon. white tights, mm-hmm. 
the beige coat, which I've realised my coat actually quite looks like <laughs> that beige coat, and I'm quite upset. Um, She's quite Jackie Onassis sometimes. Yeah, she her is. sunglasses. Just yes. when she walks in with the sunglasses, got, that got such a loud laugh in our cinema. They got a cheer. I think what they've done, and they've clearly set out to do it, and I, I think they, they didn't succeed as much as they might have hoped with Gabriel no. in Malignant. Because Malignant, Malignant came out really, you know, kind of the height of the pandemic and didn't do that well in the box office and has caught on since. And I think a lot of people have caught on to Gabriel's unique charms since then. <laughs> but what they have tried to do with this movie is create a new horror icon. And I was just watching this going, yeah, they've done it. They've absolutely nailed it. There, mm-hmm. there, are, there are standout yeah. moments. It's a PG-13. I get the sense it wasn't R at one point. Uh, again, I will have found that out by the time you're <laughs> listening to this. Uh, I would love to see the R version. It, it feels to me like there's moments when people 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 have dialogue off screen. It seems like it might have been ADR'd in to mollify that a little right. bit, maybe to maybe I'm you know, and maybe some there's, there's less blood than you might have thought initially. Uh, maybe that might have been another reason why Malignant didn't do as well at the box office. Although there are plenty of R-rated hits that are that are doing really really well, mm. but for my you know my thing is scary doll movies. There are a couple of absolute belters. If you consider Magic to be a scary doll movie, that's a belter. Dead of Night. If you consider that to be a scary doll movie, that's a belter. Um, there's a there's an American TV movie uh, with Karen Black um, called Trilogy of Terror that has a really scary doll in it as well. And then of course there's the Child's Play mm. and Chucky uh, movies. Ex Machina as well. Ex Machina. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of that in this. Well, then, as well. then you're getting yeah. into iRobot kind of stuff, which is admittedly yeah. more at the action end of the spectrum. But this is, I mean, Megan is up there with Chucky for me. I, I thought, you know, I'm a huge fan of that franchise. They've, they've clearly pushed her look to make her, you know, cosplayable in a way that, yes, absolutely, Gabriel isn't. Because he's basically, like, I couldn't pick him up out of a lineup except to advise people to look in that particular place. He's the dude yeah. who's backwards killing people. I mean, I wasn't going to say that, but like, that's in quite hard to do. Yeah. That's quite hard to do yeah. at Comic-Con. Do you know what I mean? Like, apart from just walking around backwards all the time with some <laughs> greasy looking hair. Um, whereas this is a very, very iconic look immediately. I, I did wonder if a toy company would seriously, for even a second, launch it with this look. That that did surprise me, I'll be honest. I get the kind of American Girl doll kind of thing, but even so, being that old-fashioned was, for, for especially for that age group, for, for the age that Katie's meant to be, mm. it seemed a little unlikely. But isn't it, uh, Alison, sorry, Gemma's out of touch? Isn't it that, that she's a little bit out of touch, but they just they run with it because of the emotional reaction rather than... But surely, I mean, you know, look, if, if, they do, we're yeah, we're overthinking. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But we do see them yeah. test various different kinds of wigs, like a lot of different wigs, you know. So they have clearly put some thought and there is a group of people acting on it. And when it becomes a big company project, it would surely become a big company project. And when they're printing out all of those standees, somebody would say, hey... Are we sure about the coats? Yeah. We we are, we are definitely <laughs> overthinking. Sure. We're applying real world rigor to something that does not uh, does not deserve it. Uh, so let's let's underthink. Amon. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! My eyes fell upon you. I want to know more about the the big standout moments because you know there mm. were lots of moments here where Megan was being cheered on as she yeah. killed people or ripped ears off twelve year old boys, <laughs> and that made me feel a little uncomfortable. I have to say, yeah. but I was also cheering her on. One of the biggest, funniest moments for me in the film is when they do the big demonstration for the big wigs at the company. And at first it looks like it's going horribly wrong because Katie starts crying and she's being emotional about losing her parents. 
and the looks that the CEO <laughs> is being thrown are hilarious. And then when Megan comforts her and it's going well, <laughs> then the reaction ultimately is a big clap and everyone's like, this is going great. That was very, very funny. And you could sort of, at least me, I was laughing louder and louder as that scene went on. Yeah. I really liked that mm. moment. Yeah. Uh, that, that Ronnie Chang genuinely was... He was great. Yeah. Flawless. Oh, was I, I couldn't get on with him. He was... Really? He was winding me. The, the CEO guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, whatever his name was. David. Yeah. David. Um, yeah, I couldn't get on with him. He, I, <laughs> I, I, think, I thought he was the worst performance, unfortunately. Really? And I thought was, he was really yeah. good. But I, th- yeah. I thought I thought actually a couple of comedic moments with, with Kurt, who was good, but there were a couple of moments that didn't yeah, quite land for me fair. where he was doing he was doing grimacing reactions that didn't quite quite work for me. But that moment when Megan starts singing the song to Katie. Oh yeah. That moment <laughs> and then the moment where she sings uh is it titanium or titan titanium? Titanium, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh which is just a perfect choice of song and then <laughs> accentuate the positive and Oh my God! The, Megan's playlist is like is toy glorious. soldiers at the piano. <laughs> yes, which, yes. which yeah. like five minutes after that into the scene, I was like, "What was that song?" And I was like, playing it in my head, like, like toy soldiers. Oh, yeah. yeah, just beautiful. But that all those moments, the titanium moment, I think, is just one of those beautiful mm. kind of bad taste, kind of chintzy, uh, kitsch, cookie classic moments for me it's just mm. absolutely glorious and this, the reaction in the room tonight was great but it's from the off I think it's a movie that knows exactly what it is mm-hmm. you know it has a sort of you could call it Robocop light but that beautiful uh, wonderful satirical skewering of adverts for kids toys right from the off yeah. just it, the minute I watched it for the first time I was like we're in safe hands here mm-hmm. they know what they're doing and they know the movie they've made and they're delivering it and then they, consi- they, they proceeded to do so for another 90 minutes yeah. um, I, we don't have a lot of time left and I don't think we've talked enough about Megan herself <laughs> uh, or indeed her many many kills and uh, and chic moments she is the it girl of the moment uh, what, what? She is the moment. She is the moment. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a moment, she's a movement. <laughs> and um, uh, yes, what, what stood out for you? Helen, what, yeah. favorite Megan moment? Um, favorite is such a strong word, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I was, I was uh, struck, let's say, rather than delighted by the air pulling. That was, whoa. I'm like, can you go that far? D- yeah, don't does, tell me. I don't want to know. Does skin work like does that? Does skin work that way? Please don't tell me. I don't want to know. Um, but also the the murder of the neighbor, like that was very long and drawn out with mm. all the chemicals. Stuff. Oh, you enjoyed that, did you? No. Long drawn out <laughs> Again, that's where I think maybe an R-rated film but at would the have same shown time, skin dissolving and shit like that. There's something to be said for, you know, entry level oh, yeah. horror movies. Yeah. And I think if this is an entry level horror movie, that's probably a good place for it to be. I mm. completely agree. I don't think the film suffered it any way by not being more violent and not having more gruesome kills. I don't think it would have added to the experience. It just might have sated people who want to see more of that. And I also think it's better that, you know, some younger people than would have done get to see the film because mm-hmm. they're going to want to see it. Yeah. I'm so happy I saw this in a big crowd. Like, I had an opportunity to see it uh, yesterday. I was like, no, this is a movie that feels like it's been crafted for that big crowd, yeah. all the vibes, that is part of the experience that you want to go in uh, to and have with this yeah. movie. So. In, in the screening tonight, someone did shout at the dog to run away. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was great. For <laughs> <laughs> a dog. Yeah. And I think um, I watched Malignant quite late um, and I really liked it. It's really good fun. But I think they've just leaned into it like 200% more 
what they were trying to do with Malignant and what had people questioning. Is this meant to be funny? Is this? Mm. I, I heard you guys talking star. about it on the yeah. podcast for so long. Yeah. And I think here, like, it's so clear because they've just leaned all the way in and I just respect it. I think the writing is just really great and you could... Same writer. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Akila Cooper, right? Mm-hmm. And Folks, it's Chris here. I have to be completely honest. We had a gremlin attack us assail us we think that Megan tried to shut us down that is why Sophie finished mid-sentence just there now uh, <laughs> when we recorded the spoiler special for Megan about a week and a half ago now uh, we had a horrendous time trying to save it and we lost about the last 10 minutes or so uh, so it's taken a little while for us to get back into the studio but we are here now and then we have lost Amon and Alex they have been um, I think murdered by <gasps> Megan um, so we have survived and you know, well thank God for that our condolences to their, their loved ones they will be Stabbed briefly missed by a sword in, in a lift yeah in they were yeah, yeah I believe so <laughs> uh, I believe Alex was trying to steal this podcast and, and, <laughs> and put it out to the, to the world but uh, we're back now uh, Helen's here hello Hello. Have you softened on the film any since last time we met? Well, you were, I liked you were, it. You liked it. I yeah, just but didn't, you didn't like, love it. Yeah. Well, I haven't started loving it. You've seen it, Babylon since, like so has that oh, made you back like, in comparison? In comparison to Babylon, it's freaking Citizen Kane, isn't it? There we go. That's <laughs> that. There we go. Helen was not a fan of Babylon. I can't wait to not hear that a fan on of the Babylon. pod. Her rant about that was Kermodian. Oh, excellent. You had to stop her from headbutting the microphone. <laughs> uh, Sophie's here. Hello. Hey Sophie. Uh, so you finished, you were cut off mid-sentence. Yep. You were saying, uh, in fact we could probably play a little bit of it here. Respect it. I think the writing is just really great and you could... Same writer. Yeah. Um, Akila Cooper, right? And We'll never know. What were you going to say? And probably nothing of value. Right. Um, so we went on for about another 10 minutes. Yeah. So Amon left... Mm. Early to get a train, and then we we stuck around. We talked for about another five minutes or so. So we're we're here just basically to put a button on yes. this podcast, so it doesn't just finish mid sentence. You know, <laughs> that's what we're here to do. Uh, the thing is, I can't remember what you were saying. So this could be just us going. What were you saying? And you go. I don't remember. No, but I think I was talking about malignant and how you guys had been on the fence. Is that meant to be funny? Is it not meant to be funny? Is meant to be scary? And I was saying this takes that tone to a whole new level. Turns up to 11, pushes it to the max. It's really camp. It's really funny. It strikes that balance between horror and comedy really well. And I think I applaud Akila Cooper and mm. James Wan for their script. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have now since spoken to Akila Cooper mm. and Gerard Johnston. And they were tremendous. I mean, you've heard the interview already. But uh, they were so interested about what this film kind of was at one point or what it could have been, all the, the various iterations of it. You know, some of it's out there already for from some other spoiler stuff that Akila's done uh, with our, our good buddy Jeff Goldsmith. But, um, you know, she talked about how one point, for example, that there was a, a much, a very different ending where there was a kind of massacre at the at the mm-hmm. toy demonstration, at the live demonstration to the world, and it did all go tits up. And in the end, I think they, they probably decided that, you know, a Blumhouse budget can only stretch so far. We can't yeah. do that yet. But for Megan's or <laughs> M3 Fortin, you know, <laughs> I think we could probably do that. But for this, we have to have it a little bit more internalized. And look, I'm I'm kind of okay with a, you know, a, a, a personal focused ending. I think that can mm. work really well. Um, I did want the massacre in this case. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought we were building up that way. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, emotionally, I do get why they went for, for what they've gone for. Mm. And it was a bigger body count as well. Mm. So, um, uh 
Alison Williams' buddies, they didn't make it out alive, but they mm. were they, they made it out alive, obviously, in, in the finished film. So there's a bit more blood on the walls mm. in Akilah Cooper's version. But uh, but hey, listen, I, I still think this film is, is tremendous. Uh, I do remember that I asked, was there a favourite moment or a favourite scene? So let's do that a bit again. Was there a moment that really stood out for you that we perhaps didn't talk about or that you really wanted to get into? And then we'll wrap this bad boy up in a ribbon and go home. I think I liked all the bit um, at the school place or that shot of her in amongst the toys. I can't remember if this, I've already said this bit in the bit we've heard, Chris, so if you have, cut me out. Oh but um, <laughs> the the bit on the tree with all yeah. the toys and she's just like slumped, <laughs> dead-eyed, but mm. still looking really pissed off. That moment really made me laugh and then I really enjoyed the whole bit with that idiot bully and she was mm. like, are you listening? And like pulling his ear and mm. running like a dog on in that stunning wool coat that she has <laughs> uh, <laughs> that whole sequence I just had a really good time with yeah yeah I I remember being quite shocked that they went there and actually killed yeah. the bully I, I thought that was um, daring which I think I've already said um, my favourite bit was probably one I don't remember anymore <laughs> the dancing in the hall I, I did love, yeah, I did love the bits of her sort of stalking her prey through the halls with, you know, yeah. uh, TikTok dances and samurai sword. I thought that was kind of a fun combination. And just those blood red walls, you know, yeah. you don't want a victim blame, but they were asking for it with those walls, weren't they? <laughs> don't paint I mean, your walls that colour, guys. Come on, guys, come on. I did love that every shot, you'd just be like a normal shot and it'd pan and then she'd just be like, the blocking, I think, is great throughout mm. and she's just like in between someone, like when she's in the midst of the trees or she's just always in between these people like staring. <laughs> she's sometimes out of focus. She's sometimes yeah. just sitting in the dark watching mm. something. And, uh, you know, I've said this before, but I think yeah, it's the birth of a modern horror icon. And it, it's not very often you get to say that. And I'm, I'm tremendously excited about where they might be able to take this this character next. If indeed they do anything with Megan. Uh, but think that they would, right? you think that they would do a, a Megan 2. For sure they'll do a Megan 2, right? That's that's going to happen. That seems, yeah. I mean, it's, it's done awfully well at the box office. Yes. And, and, and I think there's enough, there are enough ways in the film where she could have got out there, as it were. I mean, she's clearly sort of, it feels like she's uploaded her consciousness for a start. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, it, there, it's very, very possible that the, the industrial espionage thread could, could provide a way to get her back on board. Why they would dress her and make her look the same way, that's going to have to no, have some not. explanation. They might not. They might not, but given that that look is, I, I think you're right, going to be absolutely iconic, I think there'll be an effort to think about how they might. Mm. So that will be interesting. It might be something different. They, might, they may not go down the, the toy path because even though, yes, we, we talked about this a little bit, but the Jurassic Park syndrome of... Uh, you know, everything went horribly wrong. Let's build a theme park anyway, and people would just forget it and turn mm. up. That might that might manifest yeah. itself with with Megan, but I suspect it'll be something else. It'll be a little bit more, for want of a better word, but James Wan, insidious. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think there might be something something wrong. malignant, something malignant, yeah. if you will. Maybe a dead silence. <gasps> mm. Maybe someone will use a saw. Um, any more James Wan films? Aquaman. <laughs> He'll be there. <laughs> Megan the only, at sea. Hmm. It's the only way this could get more batshit insane if uh, Aquaman turned up. Uh, but Helen obviously wants it to be more batshit insane next time around. Yes, more, more. Yeah. More, maybe, more, you fools. Maybe she'll be the new Terminator and it'll be set like hundreds of years in the future and someone will 
you well, know, you know, time travel and then Megan will appear. Oh I mean, Spielberg, I think... <laughs> She'll I think, have to go find new clothes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Spielberg, I think, has given up on making Robopocalypse, um, which is good because it's a really derivative book and you should read World War Z instead. I mean, um, made Ready Player One if you're but, talking about making derivative yeah. books. But, um, but you know, that, that concept is still there. So we could absolutely mm. go the Megan, Megan Apocalypse All right. route. Last thing I'm going to say is I just, I just love her. I think she's tremendous. Um, and I love the confidence. You know, we get to see Megan grow throughout the film. And by the end, you know, she's just full on monologuing and just going yeah. batshit insane. Uh, the bit with the piano is just mm, genius. That is pretty great. And the, and the, the fight. Don't come in here. It may sound like we're fighting, but we're really not. Uh, it's, it's great. It's so great. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good fun. 115 stars. Uh, <laughs> oh uh, and I think on that note, um, listen, we just came in here to, 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 to wrap this bad boy up. It's not our fault. We can't remember what we said a week and a half ago. Uh, but I think we did okay. I think we did okay. And hopefully this time, Megan won't fuck with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Goodbye to Helen. Toodaloo. Goodbye to Sophie. Now, I do remember that last time I tried to do a robot voice when I signed off and I said, Oh, goodbye, Chris. So that's. That's a bit of an improvement, actually. <laughs> Fantastic. I've upgraded <laughs> since last week. Goodbye. <laughs> What's no, that? That's Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, Sophie. Yeah. Thank you for joining the Empire Podcast, 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 <laughs> Podcast. And our commiserations once again to the families of Amon and Alex. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm doing that a lot with Little Drinking Game at the moment. I'm doing Daddy 2.0, so I'm... Uh, I'm practiced. I'm practiced in the robot voice. Anyway, it's enough from me as well. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Empire Podcast. Bye. Perfect.